I want you to go with me to a very familiar passage of Scripture, John 3. And I will tell you as you are turning here, yes, I have preached from this passage very recently to you, but I promise it's a different uh, message today. Uh, As you are turning, I'm going to remind you a little bit about the background to this because what we will read uh, is getting right into the middle of a conversation that occurred. This is a time in Jesus' ministry, although it's only three chapters into the book of John, this is a time in Jesus' ministry where his popularity had grown tremendously, exponentially. It was because of the way that he ministered. This was a land that was very, very religious. The Jewish people were extremely entrenched in Judaism and religion. And they had had encounters with the living God. God himself had loved them and led them and built them and made them the nation that they were. But there was something about Jesus when he would speak that distinguished him from every other religious teacher of the day. They had lots of church in that land But nobody like Jesus had ever come and ministered in the way that Jesus ministered. And so every time he would speak, crowds would gather in and they would hang on every one of his syllables. He just had this ability to preach. And and later in, uh, in the book of John, you will see where some would say of Jesus, no one ever spoke like Jesus did. They would say that, He spoke in a way that the religious leaders of that day had never spoken. And they used this word. They didn't know exactly how to describe the the difference. But they said, he speaks with authority. It may have been their best word for the Holy Spirit's anointing in Jesus' life. But when he spoke, people of all walks of life hung on his words. And there was a man in... in, in, uh, hearing shot of his ministry and probably his motives when he first uh, appeared to hear Jesus preach were not the best. You see, because of his effectiveness, there are the established religious teachers of the law and a group called the Pharisees were becoming more and more dissatisfied and disgruntled with the fact that Jesus was traveling throughout this land. He had not been trained like they had. He had not had the the upbringing. And to be a Pharisee, you started as a child. And you had to become a disciple of a Pharisee as a child and grow up and be taught in this. You had to earn your way up the ranks to be a Pharisee. And all these people were flocking to Jesus. And the Pharisees prior to Jesus were accustomed to wearing clothes that would identify them as the Pharisees. And it would make it the the desired effect was for people to look at the way they were dressed, the way they carried themselves and to think, oh, what a righteous person. They loved, Jesus would say later, the Pharisees loved being greeted in the marketplaces, rabbi. They loved their titles. They, they took pride in the fact that they were the big wigs. And suddenly now Jesus is speaking and people are flocking to him. And the Pharisees were paying attention and they at this point had begun becoming disgruntled and dissatisfied with what Jesus was doing. And and they were becoming more and more adversarial to Jesus. There was one Pharisee who perhaps listened a little closer than some of the others. And we know him as Nicodemus. 
And Nicodemus was so compelled by some of the things that Jesus was saying that he just had to have a conversation with him. And so we know if you read the beginning of John chapter 3, you will see that Nicodemus waited until Jesus was alone and he came to him at nighttime when nobody else would see. He kind of snuck a meeting in with the Lord. And there, his hungering soul, he sat across from Jesus with burning questions, trying to understand where he was in relationship with God. And this is that famous conversation where Jesus looked Nicodemus in the eye and gave him a revelation. Nicodemus, you need to be born again. And this beautiful conversation happens here. And what we're about to read is just a very small portion of of this conversation. And that kind of brings us up to speed. These words in my Bible are in red. So in John chapter 3 verse 14. We'll look at this together. Just as Moses lifted up the snake in the desert. So the son of man must be lifted up. That everyone who believes in him may have eternal life. For God so loved the world. That he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world but to save the world through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned. But whoever does not believe stands condemned already because he has not believed in the name of God's one and only son. For several weeks in this church I preached a series of messages that uh, centered around the truth. That none other than Jesus taught about people. He taught it in the context of a mistaken notion. That people were made spiritually unclean by not ceremonially washing their hands. You'll remember that the Pharisees got angry with Jesus. Because his, his followers were, were eating food without first doing the ceremonial washing. And to consume the food. And they thought because they didn't do that. And it was a rule made up by men, not by God. They thought because of that, that they were made unclean. And in his teaching, Jesus made it clear that what makes people unclean is not what comes from without but actually comes from within our own hearts and in our series we focused our gaze upon ourselves in our own hearts and what lies just beneath the surface it wasn't easy for some of us to look within and to begin to deal with some monstrous things that can be right on the surface and when they would erupt make us think where did that come from But we face the truth together and by God's grace and through the Holy Spirit's empowering, God is going to help us to overcome some of those things that he has brought to light in our lives. But today we're going to shift the focus of our gaze and we're going to stop looking at our own hearts and we're going to stop looking at ourselves and we are going to fix our eyes on our incredible God. I want today. To begin a series that will last for a little while. To look at our incredible God. A God capable of incredible love. And what we will specifically zero in on, my goodness, if you begin to look at God, there would be so much, so many facets to see. But we're really going to look at God's heart and God's love for people. 
And we're going to take this series for a while. And hopefully, if I do my job well, by the end of this series, we'll all have a little better understanding, a little better uh, 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 knowledge about how much God values people and how much He loves people. We're focusing our gaze on humanity leads to discouragement and disappointment. Focusing our gaze on our incredible God only leads to awe and wonder. And that's it's time for us to look at him for a while. Now, I'm going to ask you to look at an image that um, Betsy's going to be nice enough to uh, put on the screen. And those of you with hair the color of mine. You're going to really, really remember this this image here. You're going to remember what it was used for. Uh, back in the day when I was a teenager, I didn't like this poster very much because it was Uncle Sam pointing at me and he was saying, I want you to enter into the armed uh, services. Not that I have an aversion in and of itself to the armed services. But when I first started seeing when I was 13 and 14 years old, we were engaged in the Vietnam War. And I didn't want to go over there. I, that didn't, that prospect didn't thrill me. My two brothers had already uh, been drafted in. And so when Uncle Sam said, I want you, he meant business. And I was thinking, man, I'm going to be old enough one of these days. And fortunately for me, the war ended. Every one of my brothers have served in the armed forces. And I'm very, very grateful. God called me into his army. I went to Bible college instead. My dad's military and my uncles are all military. I'm surprised I didn't end up in the military. I ended up in God's army. That's that's what I'll tell you. That's where I ended up. But all of that said, that that poster is something that I just want to remind you that there was a time in our history uh, for quite a little while where the draft was in effect. And when Uncle Sam pointed at a young man and and um, and at that time, it was all young men. When he pointed at you and he said, I want you, you would receive a communication from him who would say you are cordially invited. Not exactly that way. But he would let you know he wants you. And I know that if you have been in church very long at all, no doubt you have heard pastors say to you that God wants you. And if you haven't, I'm going to tell you that today. I will tell you that the God who created everything you see and cannot see From the largest to the microscopic, not only knows who you are, but he wants you. He wants a relationship with you. A personal, one-to-one relationship. Almighty God wants you. Long before you were ever born, he set in motion a plan to have a relationship with you. And folks, I want you to know, no matter who you are, where you come from, whatever station of life you find yourself in today, I'm I'm asking you to open your heart to this truth. It's a biblical truth. This book says from cover to cover from God, I want you. I love you. In fact, read this book and look at the historical facts and you will see a God interacting with people. It's an amazing and a a powerful thought. Our scripture lesson is part of this conversation between Nicodemus and Jesus. And in this conversation, Jesus introduced Nicodemus to his purpose, Jesus' purpose for coming to this world. And he told him about his part in God's plan for every person. He said, just as the snake was lifted up and, and Nicodemus would know this story. 
in the wilderness and everyone who looked at the snake was healed from a snake bite. Just as the snake was lifted up, so must the Son of Man be lifted up. This may have sound very foreign to Nicodemus, but Jesus was saying to Nicodemus, this is part of my Father's plan to come after you. It's a powerful plan. And today, I want us to take a few minutes in in the lens of looking at the heart of God. I want us to look at this question. What does God want with me? Now, I've asked that question of you before, and we have answered it in this way, to love him. That's what he wants. He wants you to love him. And that is still true. What is God's plan? Well, I think, biblically speaking, there is a four-step plan. I think I can make a case for a four-step plan uh, for God to have a close relationship with you. And it applies to every human being. It will apply to you. It applies to me. And so let me take this shot at it and see if by the time I am finished today that you wouldn't agree that, yes, this is what God intended for me. This is what God wants with me. Let's start with the first premise. God pursues you. That's step one in the plan. Okay, I went to elementary school back in the early 60s. I went to uh, junior high school in the very er- I, mean, I went to elementary school in the early all the way through the 60s and then into the late 60s and the uh, early 70s. I was in junior high and then in high school. I was in the mid 70s. OK, that's kind of my era of growing up. And I have to tell you, it, it was interesting through different stages of my life to see how people communicated the, the comment. I want you. OK. When you were a young kid, an elementary kid in my day, when you were a young guy, if you liked a girl, what, what you did if you were a, uh, a boy and you liked a girl and wanted her attention is you irritated her. That was how you did it. That's how you started to communicate to her that you thought she was pretty special. Let me get a frog and throw it at you. Let me pull your ponytail. Let me do something to just get attention. And my goal was just get attention. If it was negative attention, if I got hit, she touched me. You know, it was that kind of thing. And that's how it was. It's like, I think she's cute. I don't even know why I like her, but there's something about her. And I'd I'd make a pest out of myself. That was not... Not the smartest thing to do, but that's what elementary boys in my day did. Today, it's different. But back when I was a kid, it was a little more of an innocent error. And the way that we got girls' attentions when we were little boys, where we would just irritate them until they would hit us or something or chase us. And that was our goal. That was our way of saying, I want you. Now, we graduated and we changed our methods when we got to junior high. You see, hormones began to kick in and we began to realize that irritating the fair sex wasn't the smartest way of getting the kind of attention we would want. And so in my high, my junior high school days, that was the error for, uh, for our area, at least in kids my age, that was the error of the note. And we would pass notes. I like you. Or I think you are foxy, and that was the word for pretty, okay? when Back in the 70s and 60s, if we saw a pretty young lady, she was a fox. I think you're foxy. Do you like me? Check a box. Yes? No? Maybe. You know, and usually that's the kind of note that would be passed. And a note would be passed, and I got so many no's. It just shocked me how many girls said no, you know. But, but I will say this to you. I will say this to you. Every once in a while, a girl would get up the courage and she would pass a note. And even if I wasn't interested in her in that way, it was good to feel like somebody was pursuing me. 
Somebody here likes me. And it's just kind of nice to want to have somebody want your attention. And, and even if I wasn't uh, interested in anything more than a friendship, it was nice for somebody to notice I was breathing. Now, when we got to high school, we got a little more complicated and it was called send a friend. That's what we did. You know, your friend would go over and say, you know, Ken thinks you're a fox. What do you think of Ken? And then he would come back and report to me. She can't stand your guts, dude. You know, and that's how it would go. And that's 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 the way it would happen. But but that's that's it was the pursuit. And here's what I want to ask. When I got to college, it changed again. And and I'll I'll tell you in a moment a little bit about that for my life. But I want to ask a question. I want you to be honest. If you are in a romantic relationship and if you're married, that's romantic. Okay, so don't act like it isn't. So if you are in a romantic relationship or you're dating or something like that, if you are currently in it and you know that you are the one who pursued and, uh, and, and began, initiated that relationship, raise your hand, be honest, I'm raising mine. Absolutely it was me. And why would that surprise anybody? It was me. I was a pursuer. I walked on the campus of Circleville Bible College and I had come off of a, a dating relationship that was pretty long term for a boy and a girl, you know, and I really liked her. And for a while, I thought we were going to get married. It didn't work out. I went through that break breakup thing. That was awesome. And so I go to school and I'm kind of just like thinking maybe Mrs. Dusa. The future Mrs. Dusa is walking around here. And I started looking around and I still remember it was breakfast one morning and, and it was early. And I go into the cafeteria and working at this cafeteria as a young lady, she's got a hairnet on. She has no makeup on and she was cute as a button. And I looked at Darlene and I thought, man, if you can look that good in the morning with a hairnet on without any makeup on, I want to know you. And so I began to put on the moves, man. I began to pursue her. And I, I began to try to make it known to her that I wanted to get to know who she was. And it, it was a process. And the thing that emboldened me, I will confess to you, the thing that really emboldened me to go after Darlene was she went on a date with my ugly friend. And I thought if she'll go out with somebody that ugly, I got a shot. I got a shot with this girl. And so I went, I, I pursued this girl, and I finally got the courage to ask her out. And I was expecting a, an enthusiastic, yes, I would be happy to go out with you. I got more like a, eh. And, and, and that was hard, uh, to be honest with you. And, and her friend had to convince her, Ken's a nice guy. You need to go out on a date with the guy. You're, you're not marrying him or anything, but just go out with him. He's a very nice guy. And so she twists Darlene's arm, and Darlene finally says yes. And I go out on this date with, with, with my uh, future wife for the first time, and I will admit I was smitten, man. I liked everything about her. She wrote me a little note after the date and said, thank you very much for asking me out. Never ask me out again. <laughs> and that was that. So I just thought, okay, then. And, and I will just tell you that, you know, when you are the pursuer and you desire to be closer with someone, you work hard because you think they're worth it. And I'm just going to stop for a moment and ask you to remember something about your God. If you know Jesus Christ today as your Lord and Savior, I promise if you have a relationship with him, I promise it's because he initiated that. 
long before you were created, he saw you. And you caught his eye. And he loved you. He loved you before you knew anything. And he began to pursue you way back. What was happening between Nicodemus and Jesus was Jesus was revealing to humanity that night. My father loves you. He loves you enough. And we read this. That he sent me here. He loves you and wants a relationship so much with you. That he took his only son and made him human. And sent him into this world to suffer on your part. And take your punishment. He loves you enough to pursue you through me. Just as the snake was raised up in the desert. The son of man needs to be raised up so that you have an opportunity to have a relationship with an almighty, holy, incredible God. And God's first step in his plan for humanity, his step, his first step for you is he pursued you. I still remember, I wasn't very old, but I still remember when I became aware that God was on my trail. When God started to reveal to me that specifically he was after me. I heard the message of the gospel of Jesus Christ and it occurred to me that that wasn't just for a group of people over here or somebody over there. It was personal. God was seeking me. And if you know Jesus and you're born again, you'll remember what it felt like to have the Holy Spirit pointing his finger at you and saying, I want you. I'm after you. And making it clear to you, I died for you. I did this for you. It's all about you. I'm here for you. I'm pursuing you. You're worth it to me. I love you. And folks, I am so grateful for an incredible God. And the thought, just if you'll go with me here for a moment, why would a God who has everything, needs nothing from me, gains really nothing from me, why would he love me enough to let his son die on a cross for me? Why would he pursue me that hard? Why would he pick me? Why would he pursue me? It is a wonderful thing to look at the heart of God and see that God's capacity to love is beyond what you and I can comprehend. I don't mean to insult you. But if I were to take your capacity, all of your ability to love, and I were to compare it to God's ability to love, it would be a little bit like me taking a half a thimble of water and placing it next to the Atlantic Ocean. There's no comparison. I don't know the answer why except the point to that. God has a capacity to love me in a way that I will never understand, and that's okay. I just know that it's greater than I could ever think or imagine. And it is part of God's plan. His, his plan was to pursue people. The Bible tells us that Jesus came to save people from the destruction of sin. Many people believe they're doing fine without a one-on-one relationship with the Lord. And I will tell you, they're terribly misunderstood. I've had people say, I have an understanding with the man upstairs. And I will tell you, you really don't. 
The problem is, although you might think you're okay, you're not okay. You're in big trouble because you're still guilty of breaking the law of God. And God is a righteous judge. Make no mistake about it. We're called as a church to love people no matter what. But God will one day judge this world. So any government can make any ruling that they want about marriage or about anything else. One day we all will give account to God. So we need to know that. Almost everyone is familiar with the Ten Commandments, the thou shalt nots or the thou shalts. The Bible clearly states that every single person is guilty of breaking God's law. All of us are. And therefore, we deserve to be punished by a just God. All we, or we all like sheep, have gone astray. Each of us has turned to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him, Jesus Christ, the iniquity of us all. As it is written, there is no one righteous, not even one. Romans 3.10 God pursues you because he loves you through Jesus Christ. And through Jesus, the only one righteous enough enough to have taken the punishment of the world's sins, he devised a plan to rescue you from your destruction. It's an incredible thought to know that a holy God pursues people. Somebody wrote a song that was sung by Point of Grace, and I love this song. I don't know if it was one of them or not, but the song simply says, God loves people more than anything. I think it's true. And I'm so grateful for a God who looked at me and saw something worth pursuing. And he that's his plan. That's his plan for you. That's what he wants. He wants to pursue you because he loves you. The second step of that, uh, of God's plan then, is you enter into a relationship with God. Another way that I would put it is you let God catch you. And... I told you that I, I pursued Darlene hard. I went after that girl. I, I just saw something about her that I really liked. I got a little discouraged with the letter. I'll tell you, that, that wasn't too much fun to read that letter. And so I just said, okay, I, all right. We, when when the, the way things timed out, uh, I took her out on a date. I got the letter, and a couple days later, we went home for, for our winter break, uh, our, our Christmas break. And so I thought a lot about Darlene, but I said to myself, okay, Ken, you know, get, get a hint. She's not interested, so, so there'll be somebody else. When In God's timing, he'll bring you the right person. And I just gave it to the Lord, and I said, you know, it's up to God. And if I don't get married, that's fine, too. That's up to God, whatever he wants to do. And so I just kind of resigned myself to whatever God wants. I'm just going to live out my life. And I go back to college, and I, I learned, uh, I got contacted by Darlene's friend. She did the tell-a-friend thing. And she says, and, and this friend grew up with Darlene and knew Darlene from, from kindergarten and lived just a few miles down the road. And we ended up going to college in Ohio, in Ohio together. But anyway, this friend walked up to me and, and started to talk to me. Can I have to talk to you about Darlene? I said, I know, I know. She's not interested. He's, she says, you're wrong, Ken. I said, what do you mean? Well, she's been thinking about you the whole time that we've been here at Christmas, and she's been talking about you, and she's reconsidered. And I said, really? Then I kind of said, well, she needs to tell me that, you know, kind of thing in my in my little pride. And 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 I was thinking, you know, instead of just really being excited for a moment, I'm like, hmm, 
who she thinks she is in my head, you know? How dumb was that? So anyway, that, that went very quickly. Then, then something inside my head said, dummy, it's what you wanted, you know? And so I finally caught on. And so then I, I contacted Darlene. We began to talk and she said, yes, Ken, I've been thinking a lot about you. And uh, I want to give you a second chance. If you would like to go out, I would love to go out with you. And I said, yes. So so I want you to know that, um, you know, I, I, I went to college thinking I had game and I learned I didn't. Okay, but Darlene was merciful. And the same God that can make blind eyes see can make seeing eyes blind. And so she went out with me again. And so so it was an awesome thing. Um, and then. Uh, there was the day that I will never forget, you know, when after all of my pursuing, Darlene let me catch her. And we went from just being good friends to something a little more. Now there was a romantic interest. Yes. I love that, you know, and it was a highlight of my life. I mean, I really got excited that this beautiful woman had saw something in me, saw qualities in me that was worth more than just a friendship, more than just talking. She actually had romantic interest in me. And that was a huge day when Darlene let me catch her. It was gigantic. And everything in our relationship changed from that day on. That was the day when things began to be very different between us. Our communication became very different. It was a wonderful moment. Oh, I remember the day when I let God catch me. And everything changed between God and me. I barely knew anything about him. I was only 10 years of age. But the moment when Christ came into my heart, I opened up my heart to him and I entered into a personal relationship with him. My life took an absolute 180 turn and I became a brand new person. And what a wonderful day it was when I let God catch me. And that was his plan all along. He was working for the day when I would let him catch me. It was a glorious moment for me. I still remember the, what it felt like. And, and I hope you do. I hope you remember. If you're a Christian and you've been a Christian forever, like it seems like I've, it feels like most of my life I've been a Christian since I'm 10 and I'm 58 today due to math. That's a long time I've been a, a, a believer in Christ. But I can tell you that day still shines in my memory so brightly as if it happened yesterday. And I remember the sensation of letting God Catch me of turning to him and entering into a relationship with almighty God. And I ask you again, will you look at his heart? Because why would God embrace a human being? I don't understand it, but I'm so grateful. He is an incredible God. And the more I have known him every day, this is the thing about him. He he is new to me every single day. The closer I, I get to him, the better my, my sense of who God is and the more wonder there is in my heart. It makes me just love him. And I entered into that love relationship with Jesus Christ. And I want to tell you, I'm not ashamed of that. I'm so proud to belong to the Lord Jesus Christ. I love him. And I'm asking you, have you ever let him catch you? 
Can you think of the day that you turned and he caught you? He, he didn't just pursue you and you kept running, but the day came when you turned and you received what he had to give to you. Have you let him catch you? And if you have, can you celebrate that a little bit today as you look at a heart of a God who does that? The third step in God's plan for us is this. You pursue God. Now, once Darlene let me catch her, one of the neat things about our relationship was I wasn't doing all the pursuing anymore. That was awesome. Because, like, I wasn't the only one leaving gifts. I wasn't the only one writing little cards. She was writing to me. And I'd get these little cute little love notes. We'd sit in class together, and she'd reach across, and we'd put, we use paper bag book covers. Okay, I know you know what they, they and yes, in, in college back then you use books, okay? There were no high tech the the word processors were typewriters, okay, and, and lots of whiteout. So that's that's just the way it was. But Darlene would reach across and I had I, I saved some of my book covers for a while because I, she would draw a little picture and just say, I love you and stuff. And man, the fact that she now was pursuing me just did something for our relationship. It was amazing to me that Darlene actually would would try to find where I was. If I was playing basketball or something in the student center, sometimes I'd look over and she'd be over the smi- uh, sideline smiling at me and waving. Are you kidding me? That was absolutely incredible to be pursued. Do you know that it is God's plan for you to pursue him? Yes, he pursued you. Yes, he initiated, but it is in God's plan that you and I would go after him. How do we pursue God? Well, we pursue him in his word. And we pursue him in our alone time and in our prayer life. We pursue him by obeying him. But we learn to love on God and find what it is that pleases him. And we do that because we love him. Amen. And I'm going to ask you something today. There's something that I I aspire to. And you have my permission as my church. I'm your pastor. You have my permission. If you think something's going askew here, I want you to talk to me about it. But I will tell you, if you see me ever in a worship service and I'm not going after God, then I would like somebody to have the courage to say, Pastor, is, is everything okay? Because God deserves when I worship for me to go after him. Amen. He deserves the best of God. I don't mean you have to be demonstrative. My wife and I have very different personalities. Have you noticed? We do. I have said this about Darlene. One of the best ways to describe the differences between us and our personalities. Years ago, Ed McMahon used to come to people's door and knock on their door. They would win a sweepstakes of $10 million. Okay, he did that for a little while. That's what Ed, Ed McMahon himself would show up with the prize crew. And they knock on the uh, door and they said, congratulations, you won the Reader's Digest sweepstakes. Let me tell you the difference between Darlene and I. If somebody ever came to our door, whoever they were, and said to us, announced to us, you have won $10 million. Darlene would look at it, kind of her eyes would get big and say, that's nice. Not me. I don't care how old I am and how feeble I am. I'm the guy trying to do cartwheels and handsprings, shouting and hollering, getting all excited because that's the difference in our personality. When we worship, my wife, if she lifts her hands, she's feeling it, okay? She's blessing God. She's going after God. And usually what happens with her, tears will roll. You don't know what I'll do. 
And I don't want to scare you. But if I take off running one day, don't get upset. I've been known to do it. I've been known to jump up and down and, and scream and holler and get happy in the Lord. And if that happens, please get over it. All I'm doing is going after God. I don't contrive it. I don't make it fake. I don't shout or exude emotion just to do it. I don't do it for you. I don't do it for a show. But if I start jumping up and down and dancing like a white boy in front of you while I worship God, that's just me giving God my best, going after God. I will never forget a service that I was part of. I, I, I could. I, it just. This is just a powerful day. I went to a Promise Keepers event for pastors down in Atlanta, Georgia. I had the privilege of traveling with Doctor Wood and some of the pastors of this district many years ago. We were in the dome, and the Holy Spirit broke in on our meeting in a way I cannot describe. I just felt like as if. God himself were stuffing himself into that place. And the power of God came upon us all so much that uh, I began to weep. And I fell on my face and I laid out before God and stretched out and worshipped. And I had a sense of what time it was when that was beginning to happen. Three hours later, I thought it was 10 minutes. I'm telling you the truth. Three hours later, I looked up and everybody was down on their faces before the Lord God. And he was moving in a powerful way. And then I became aware that there was some doubt. We were up in the bleacher section, but down on the floor level, there was some shouting and stuff going on. I think some of my charismatic brothers and sisters were down there. But I looked down over the rail and I saw this. Uh, it was one of the most beautiful sights I've ever seen. This grown man literally skipping before God and praising him. And he did not care what anybody thought of him. And the next thing I saw was another man just running laps and shouting praises to God. And then I saw this thing that I couldn't believe. A grown man pastor doing somersaults. Look like kids playing. And I can tell you, in that setting, at that moment, it was the appropriate thing to do. And I was reminded of the scriptures that told that, that describes how in the in the spring of the year the the uh, farmers would release the young calves and they would leap and bound for joy. And I will tell you something, you need to know this about me. If God moves on me to do so, even though I'm horrible at it, I will dance for the Lord with all of my might if that's what God does. Why? Because I believe that I'm supposed to pursue God. And it should be pursued in obedience, pursued in integrity, pursued in everything that I am. And if if that's what God wants, I'll do it. I won't make it contrived. I promise you, I'm not going to next week just jump up here and act like a nutball just for the sake of making a show because I don't want any attention on me. I want it on Jesus. But we should pursue God. And finally, and this is so beautiful, I, I see this as part of God's heart. And by the way, can I just really quickly interject? The more I pursue God, the more I love Him. That's all I can tell you. I've been married to Darlene for 37 years, and I honestly believe 
that she's more beautiful today than she was the day I married her. I honestly believe that. And part of what has happened is I've gotten to know Darlene. I still remember when I stood there in front of the altar, and, and I never thought my marriage would ever happen. You know how you are, you know. And I was all excited for the Lord to uh, bring that day. And I was praying, Lord, don't come back before I get married. Please, please, Lord. I want to experience being married. And, and I want all that experience. Please, Lord, don't come back. Wait a while, Lord, please. And, and I still remember on my wedding day standing there and looking down the aisle and Darlene walking nervously down the aisle, thinking to myself, I could never love this girl any more than I do today. I just can't. I don't know how to make my heart love her anymore. Well, I was wrong. I was wrong. You just learn to love somebody more and more when you go through things with them. When she puts up with you for 37 years, you have to respect her. So, And I just really believe that in heaven, the, the procession of, of saints uh, in front of the line will be pastors, spouses, and in the back will be pastors. That's the way I think it. What they put up with, God love them. Finally, let me just say the last part of this uh, plan of God's for you. I love this. As you and God spend eternity together. John 3.16 speaks about eternal life and being with the Lord. And I just want to remind you of something I'm pretty sure you know. There is life after this life. And God has a, an existence. People have eternal souls. They exist after they die. And it's God's plan, his desire, his design for you to spend an eternity with him in a place that he has prepared for you. He wants to be with you in heaven. And I have often, because I'm ADD and I have this vast imagination, I have often thought about the day when um, I take my step, my first step into eternity. Uh, frankly, Dawn, thinking about your dad, I, I thought about what was that like? And I, I think about the first moments I'll look at Jesus. I don't know what it'll be like. I, I probably think what will happen to me is I'll just gaze. If he would let me, I'll run right up to him, wrap my arms around him and, and love on him and thank him and hug him and embrace him and he'll have to peel me off. But, but if he just lets me see him, if I can just gaze at his glory. I don't know exactly what heaven is going to be like because the Bible is very clear. We don't know. Mind hasn't conceived, eye hasn't seen, ear has not heard the things that God has prepared for those who love him. But this, this part I know, he is there. And I'm going to get to be with him by his grace. That's his plan. And do you know today that as hard as this life can be, that this is just a little blip in eternity for you? And that one day you'll get a, gl a glorified body, a glorified mind, and, and you'll be with the Lord forever and ever and ever. Do you understand the enormity of a heart of a God who would let us be near him? He'll welcome you if you realize his plan for your life. He'll welcome you with open arms. And he'll usher you into a glorious place that none other than Jesus has prepared for you. And he'll say, enter into the joys of your master. And fr frankly, folks, again, I have no real concept of it, but I just want to challenge you with this. I want you to see the heart of a God who looks at you and loves you. And can I remind you of something going all the way back to your pursuit? I pursued Darlene 
because to me she was a beautiful woman, because she had so many endearing qualities. I was pursuing the best of Darlene. You know what I mean? God pursues us knowing the worst of us. I think sometimes about his crucifixion. I don't know that this is true, but I wonder if sometimes while hanging on the cross, if Jesus didn't look through the annals of time and see me at my very worst. And if when he cried, Father, forgive them, if that wasn't also for me, I don't know. I just know this. You and I cannot really fully understand how much God loves us. And we don't fully understand his plan, but we can avail ourselves to it. I close with this. This morning I got up and um, walked into the bathroom so as to not disturb my wife, and I flipped the switch on, and poof, there was light. And can I tell you what I know about electricity and its properties and how it works and how you wire and all that? You could fit in a thimble and put it right alongside a plumbing I don't know very much about it. I don't have to fully understand to utilize electricity. Somebody's got the work all done for me. I just utilize it. I don't understand how God does what he does. And I certainly don't understand how Jesus did what he did for me. But I'm not going to fail to utilize, throw the switch, if you will, and utilize the relationship that he has invited me to have. So let me ask you. Are you even aware that God has been pursuing you? Have you let him catch you? Do you sense that as you sit here today, you are pursuing him? And are you excited at all about one day being with him in eternity?